morning. The New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It's page 814 in the Bibles that are on the table. Please hear the word of our Lord. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Effective classes. Several weeks ago, we completed a three-year study in the gospel according to Luke. We went through that gospel line by line, verse by verse, scene by scene. The Lord blessed us in that. Since that time, we have had three messages from the book of Genesis. We're starting a different, instead of going to a specific book of Scripture and working through that book as we did with Luke, for a period of time, we're going to systematically go through the different books of Scripture that uh, in a year or so should take us through the entire Bible. Every book in the Bible, should we should uh, spend time in each one of the books during that, during that period. We've had three sermons from the, book of Ma- from the book of Genesis. This morning we'll be in the Gospel according to Matthew. Next Sunday we'll be in Matthew again. And then... The next Sunday, we'll come to the book of Acts. We're going to the books of the Old Testament, the Gospels, and then the letters. After we finish three Sundays in Acts, we'll go back to Exodus, have three sermons there, then to Mark, the second of the Gospels, for two messages, and then to Romans for three messages. We'll systematically go through Scripture in that way. This morning, we look at Matthew, the man Matthew, the call of Matthew the writer of the first gospel. The title of the message is, Jesus Wants Matthew? Really? Really? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this good Lord's Day morning. We thank you that you came to our lives and you brought Sunday. When Jesus came, he changed our lives. He changed our weeks. Before it was just another day. But then it became the Lord's Day. It became a day of worship. Oh, Father, we thank you for the difference that Jesus bringing Sunday into our lives, bringing the Lord's Day into our lives has made. We pray that you would teach us to worship. Continue to bless Christ Presbyterian, that we would learn to worship you, that we would learn to meet with you in reverence, in holiness that we would learn to celebrate your goodness and your mercy to us. Our Father, this morning, we 
remember those who are sick. For Mr. Anderson, we pray in thanksgiving for how you have blessed him, Father. What an amazing surgery and recovery. We pray that you would continue to strengthen him. We pray for Jim Bennington that, Father, uh, he would look forward with anticipation. We pray for Billy Griggs that he would look forward with anticipation. We pray that you would strengthen them physically, but most of all, strengthen them spiritually. Father, I pray for Dr. Cruz this morning who's proven to be such a friend to this congregation. We pray that, that, Father, you would take away the cancer, take away the melanoma. We pray that, Father, you would give him many years yet upon this earth. And now as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. Whoever stands behind this desk cannot teach so it will make any difference. Our Father, all true preaching is a demonstration of the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray in these next few minutes that we would hear your voice in our hearts. That you would continue the change that began when the Holy Spirit came and changed our hearts. Or maybe that this morning you would change some of us for the first time in the power of your Spirit. So bless us, Father, in Jesus' name. To understand the drama of this scene, this scene where Jesus calls Matthew, we must go back to the culture and customs of first century Israel. We just must or we won't understand it. When we think, when we speak of Jesus, we think of him, the son of God and son of man, especially since we finished our study in the gospel according to Luke. We know that he was a prophet of all prophets, the priest of all priests, the king of all kings. But how did the disciples see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry? When Jesus approached them and caused them to follow him, what was happening? Was this customary in that day? You must remember that when he called many of these first disciples, they had not seen him make blind people see and deaf people hear. They had not seen him stop storms and raise the dead. They knew him to be, because of John the Baptist and John the Baptist's testimony of him, they knew him to be a great spiritual teacher. In that Jewish culture, they thought of him in the beginning as a rabbi. The title rabbi simply means teacher, a recognized teacher. In the Gospel of John, it's interesting, in the first 11 chapters, the disciples called Jesus Rabbi eight times. Rabbi Jesus. How did people become disciples of a rabbi in that day? The rabbis, you need to know, did not typically call people, a rabbi did not typically call someone to follow him. Rather, people would go to the rabbi and ask to be his disciple, his student. 
That's what the word disciple means, a student. Now, the rabbi, when they asked, could refuse them. Some of you in high school are at the age that you're beginning to make application to universities, universities to uh, which where you want to go and study. The university, you know this, the university may accept you in your application or if they don't think you're up to their standards, they may refuse you. You're making the application. Just so a person would ask the rabbi if he could become a student under that rabbi's tutelage. Now, Jesus was breaking with that custom. We've already seen in Matthew, or we saw it in Luke, and it's in Matthew's record, before he called Matthew, he had called other disciples. Look at Matthew 4, 18 on your scripture sheet. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout, and here we see his work as a rabbi. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching, saying he was a, a rabbi, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But notice these men were not asking Rabbi Jesus if they could be his disciples. Rather, Rabbi Jesus asked these men to follow him. Now, when I first read this as a, as a young, uh, you know, heard it in Bible school, heard it in Sunday school, heard it taught in church, and, and I was a child, I thought that was the most amazing thing. Here, Jesus would walk up a perfect stranger to people and say, follow me, and they left everything and followed him. I thought Jesus must have just been incredible to do that. Who does that? But that's not really what happened. You must understand that Jesus called Peter, that when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, Peter and Andrew had, had heard, we know this in the book of John, they had heard John the Baptist preach. They had heard John the Baptist point to, they had seen G, John the Baptist point to Jesus and say, he's the Messiah, he's the Lamb of God. And they had actually had conversations. Peter and Andrew had actually had conversations, and so would John and James, with Jesus. But there was a day he didn't walk up to them point blank without warning and say, follow me. They knew him. They knew about him. They knew of his work as a rabbi, as a teacher. And there came a day, as we just read, when he went to them as a rabbi and said, join me. Come, follow me. We know, we see the calls of six disciples in the Gospels. And then one last call. The rest of the disciples, we don't know how Jesus called them. But we know about six, and we really know about seven. Matthew was the seventh one. He may have been the last 
call the last disciple or the last one Jesus called to be a member of the 12. And this is where Matthew enters the story. He was a tax collector. We know from Mark's gospel that Matthew lived in or near Capernaum. Jesus, when he began his ministry, had moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. So he lived in Capernaum. It would have been impossible for Matthew not to have known about Jesus. Jesus was well known by this time all through Galilee. But being a tax collector, Matthew could never have dreamed of becoming a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. For that matter, he could not dream of being a disciple of any rabbi. There was no rabbi in Israel who had a tax collector as a disciple. Why? Matthew, or the tax collector, served the government of Rome by taxing his own fellow citizens for the Romans. He bought that right, paid money for it. The Romans would assess the district a certain amount in taxes. The tax collector would pay for the right to collect that assessment from the people. Whatever he collected over that amount was his. At the end of the year, he would pay the Romans what they were due and he could keep the rest for himself. Now, there, was, there were individual set taxes, just like we have. A 10% tax on produce, a 1% tax on earnings. In those taxes, there was little opportunity, for, little opportunity or little room for extortion. However, there was a second form of tax in the, uh, in the Roman assessment the taxation of duties and tolls. In this tax, Levi could levy import taxes, tollway taxes, boat docking fees, business license, just like we have today. He could tax your boat, the fish you had in your boat, and the dock where your boat was kept. That here the tax collectors were given great latitude a tax collector could force a traveler to passing through Galilee. He could force a, a business person, a traveler to unpack his wares, a merchant to unpack his wares, charge him anything he desired. And if the man could not pay the tax, the tax collector would offer to loan him the money, at exorbitant interest, not surprising, Tax collectors allied themselves with thugs as enforcers. This, this was a horrible. No one, no Jewish person would want their daughter to marry a tax collector. Alfred Edesheim in his classical work on the Jewish culture in the first century said that tax collectors were barred from the synagogue, couldn't be a part of the synagogue. 
A good Jew was forbidden to have any social or religious contact with the tax collector. They couldn't have any physical. You didn't shake his hand. If you saw one coming down the street, you crossed the street. He was considered to be the same class as swine. He was held to be a traitor, a born liar. He was not allowed to testify in sort of, inside of a court of law. You would not want a tax collector testifying on your behalf at your trial. You would be guilty. You understand? Matthew was not even allowed. He was ostracized. He was not even allowed inside of a synagogue. Now, you ask, what was Jesus thinking? What was Jesus thinking? Well, he was not blind to Matthew's past. In Luke's version of this story, of the story of Matthew, we read this. It's in Luke 5, 27. It's on your scripture sheet. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now Mark and Luke both used the name Levi when Jesus called him. Matthew, in his record of it, uses the name Matthew. He may have had two names. It was, it was uh, customary in that day, just like today, people have two names. And he may have, I think probably that just like Jesus renamed Peter when he called him, renamed James and John, the sons of thunder, when he called them, I think he renamed Matthew, that his name was Levi. And Jesus changed his name to Matthew. The word Levi is a good Jewish name, but the name Matthew means a gift of God. Think about a tax collector being a gift of God. But as you go back to Luke's record there in verse 27, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. The word saw there is a very different Greek word. It's not used when you just see somebody on the street, just pass them by. It's used when you observe someone, when you study someone. Uh, to watch, to watch intently. In other words, Jesus went out specifically to observe Matthew. Jesus was not naive about him. He knew who he was. He's not naive about us. It's not that we see ourselves as sinners. And Jesus looks at us and says, you're really not that bad. I can still use you. Jesus knows us to be worse. Whatever you think you are this morning, I assure you, Jesus sees you a little worse, maybe a whole lot worse than you see yourself. He doesn't wear rose-colored glasses. I once used a story when I was preaching told by Tony Campolo, and I used it in a wrong way. Com Tony Campolo was a Christian teacher. He was a college professor. 
and he was teaching a class and he referred as it, it was a, a, a class in the New Testament and he referred to a passage where Jesus saw a prostitute, met a prostitute. There was a Jewish student in the class and he raised his hand and he said, Dr. Compola, Jesus never saw a prostitute. And immediately, Compolo began to turn the class through the Gospels and show them time after time where Jesus saw or had a conversation with a prostitute. And every time, the Jewish student insisted, but Jesus never saw a prostitute. Finally, Compolo understood what the student was saying. He was saying Jesus didn't put condemning labels on people Thus, he did not see the prostitute. Now, when I first read that, I thought that was cool. I once told that story and said, Jesus didn't see prostitutes and neither should we. However, that's not biblical. That's not correct. Jesus did see the prostitute. In fact, what did he say on one occasion? Go your way and sin no more. He knew she was a prostitute. He saw her in all of her sin. He saw her for what she was. And he saw Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Remember Zacchaeus that we studied in the book of Luke? He saw Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Matthew and Zacchaeus, men with horrible reputations, who were probably white-collar thieves. And Jesus saw that. He saw them for what they were. And that's the whole point of this passage. Jesus did not look, Jesus did not wear rose-colored glasses when he looked at people. And he tried to get people to take off their rose-colored glasses when they looked at themselves. Typically, we look at others and we're critical. But we look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. And that's exactly what was happening in this passage. He didn't have on rose-colored glasses looking at Matthew. And he tried to strip the rose-colored glasses from the Pharisees. Matthew would not, what's the point? Matthew would not have been one of those to go to Jesus and say, I want to be your disciple. He was outside of his frame of reference. No rabbi would want him. God would not want him. I've learned over the years that people who think they're deserving, Christians or church members who think they're deserving, and they want to serve Jesus, those that think they're most deserving think they'll do great things for Jesus. I have a lot of money. I can, I can build this building. Or I'm able to speak. I want to be a, a, a really, Jesus, I can be a really great preacher. This is not what you see. What was it? What was it that John the Baptist said to Jesus? Jesus had said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet in all of Israel. And John the Baptist said to Jesus, I am not even worthy to be the lowest servant and unlatch your sandals and wash your feet. And in the households of Israel, the servant who took off your sandals and washed the dust, that, that was the lowest 
place you could be as a servant. No one wanted that. And John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy of doing that. Joseph Parker was a great preacher in London. He was a contemporary of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Parker preached to 3,000 people every Lord's Day at the Cine Tipple in London. His class at noon on Thursdays drew a crowd from all over London. His books brought him international acclaim. He was well known in his day. He was once asked a theological question by a friend. He had been teaching a Bible study in the Gospels. And this friend asked him, Dr. Parker, why did Jesus choose Judas? Why did he choose Judas? And Dr. Parker thought for a minute and he said, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But he said, for me, there's a harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? He understood he was like Matthew. You see, what this passage teaches is we're not going to be saved unless we understand. We're like Matthew. It's not that we say, we look at Matthew and say, man, it, it, this is really grace. He saves, he saved that tax collector. What's that really saying is that we're better than the tax collector. We're deserving. This is saying you are the tax collector. Now, Matthew was rich. And what happened? He could throw a party, but in, in coming to the book of Matthew once more, uh, Matthew was, I've seen Matthew in a different light. He was very humble. He understated things. Look at his account of the party that he gave for Jesus. Look at Matthew 9, 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That's what Matthew said. It was his house. But look at the words of Luke from Luke 5, 29. And Levi made him, made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large ceremony of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. There was a great feast, not just a feast, a great feast and a large company. And it was made just for Jesus. Jesus was a guest of honor. Remember in, in the Gospels there was a, a paralytic and he had four friends. And it was right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And these four friends realized Jesus could heal this paralytic, been paralyzed since birth. And so they got him on a pallet and they took him. And had to go down through the roof of the house, but they lowered, there was such a crowd, they lowered the paralytic in front of Jesus. Well, Matthew was doing the same thing. Those four men were, said, 
Jesus can heal this man. We've got to get this man to him. Well, Matthew brought Jesus into his house through this great party and it, he didn't invite the synagogue. He didn't know those people. He invited all his tax collector friends. Jesus can help them too. His party had two purposes. One was to celebrate Jesus. The Messiah had come to his town, to his life, and to his house, and there had to be a party. And notice this. They didn't go to the church. They didn't go to the synagogue to have the party. He had the party at his house. People, when we get home, we, in our minds, it's the world that parties. If we learned anything from Scripture, it should be that it's God's people that have the great parties. We have this attitude. We can't have a party unless we have it at church. That's, that, that's our party. And Sunday morning is. is a time of celebration every Sunday morning. And we're having it. There's a celebration this afternoon. The congregational meeting is a celebration. This, the dinner will be a celebration. but I pray that Christ Presbyterian, that the families of Christ Presbyterian will be a people who live thankful lives and weekly and monthly are known as a people who celebrate God's goodness. The second reason for the party, of course, was to expose fellow sinners to his Savior. When we get home, we're going to find out. We're going to be surprised by the ingratitude of our lives and the lack of celebration. So there are the Pharisees, the people at the synagogue, the people that ruled the synagogue. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. They were the John Sartells and Tyler Kenyans. And what do they say? Matthew 9, 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, that's Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the right, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Put this in our context. What if Jesus were here? And you saw him at the house of someone that had a horrible reputation in Fayette County. And you saw him, you saw people that were the dregs of Fayette County and he was having dinner with them. That's what the Pharisees saw. The Pharisees were religious 24 hours a day. They were punctilious about their conduct. They were saying, righteous people don't do that, and certainly the Messiah, someone who says he's Messiah, could not be doing that. Now, when Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, was he saying that the Pharisees were righteous and did not need him? No. He was saying that the Pharisees in his answer were like the tax collectors, sinful, evil, and corrupt. 
But the Pharisees looked at themselves through rose-colored glasses who didn't think they were sinners like the tax collectors. Jesus was saying there's two types of people in this world. Every one of us are sinners. But there's two types, sinners who don't think they are sinners and sinners who know they're sinners. Sinners who don't think they are sinners think of themselves as deserving folks. Deserving every earthly blessing. They're the ones that say, why did this happen to me when a child dies? What are we saying? I, I don't deserve this. Sinners who don't think they're sinners think of themselves as deserving folks. Deserving earthly blessings and deserving of God. And Jesus said what? I didn't come for you. Do you get that? Face it. He said, I did not come for you. It's amazing that so many of those folks have misunderstood and it's exactly who's in the church. Sinners who know they're sinners and think of themselves as unworthy folk, not worthy of earthly blessings, not worthy before God. Jesus said, I came for you. It's amazing that so many of these folks feel alienated by the church. But that day at Matthew's house, they had it right. The people who were sinful, undeserving outcasts were with Jesus on the inside. And the self-righteous and deserving were on the outside looking in. People, this is a powerful passage. It's full of drama. Powerful. Remember John the Baptist? The greatest prophet? I mean, we've got to take Jesus' word, the greatest prophet who had ever lived to that time? He says, I'm not worthy to wash your feet, Jesus. Paul Veronica was a 16th century Italian painter. He was of the Venetian school. Many of his paintings have biblical themes. One that hangs in the, fine, the Academy of Fine Arts in Venice got him in trouble during the Spanish Inquisition, during the church's Inquisition. That specific painting depicts Jesus at a banquet with his disciples. But all around the disciples, all around Jesus, were Roman soldiers. In one corner, there were Roman soldiers playing in, in a corner. There was a man with a bloody nose on the other side, stray dogs roaming, roaming around, a few drunks, and also midgets. He also put, he, he pulled in people from other times. He also painted in a few Huns and other people of bad reputation from other times. Veronica was called before the Inquisition to explain this blasphemy. 
and Veronica did the right thing. He said, I was painting scenes from the gospel. These are the people Jesus came to save. The Inquisition, the church, made Veronica change the title of his painting. It couldn't be Jesus with the disciples because that couldn't be Jesus. They made him deny it was Jesus and turn it into a completely secular scene. That wasn't Jesus. Those weren't his disciples. Now, what, that's what the Pharisees were trying to do that day. Take Jesus out of that scene. You can't be there. Jesus, if you're Messiah, if you're a holy man, if you're the Messiah, you cannot associate with such people. We're better than that. They're not deserving. Folks, you can't get Jesus out of that scene. You either join him in that scene or remain lost in self-righteousness on the outside. Our hymn is most appropriate.